Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 1st, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Guys, uh, it's been a while since we've had uh, Jacob on the podcast. Jacob, you've been uh, deep in it at Fantastic Fest. I guess that like starts us off in the water cooler. What have you been doing? <laughs> For the past eight, uh, almost two weeks, I've been nothing but Fantastic Fest, which is the largest genre of film festival in the United States, uh, held in Austin, Texas every year, hosted by the Alamo Drafthouse. And I've been writing tons about it. I wrote about every single movie I saw. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about those uh, at a later point, which you can find all those articles on SlashFilm.com. But what makes Fantastic Fest an interesting uh, place is that it's all held in one location. There are a few off-site events, but mostly it is all held at the Elma Draft House, South Lamar, uh, right off downtown Austin. And that means that they can sort of – you stay in one place and you can participate in a lot of things between movies. And it's easy to have conversations and meet up with people and really relax and enjoy yourself. And I mentioned this in the podcast before, I believe, but you know, there's not, there aren't even any lines at Fantastic Fest. You enter what you want to see on a uh, digital lottery. It spits out what you're going to see that day, and you usually get what you want. It's very, very uh, – it's, it's a system that works very well. So you just wait for your number to be called, more or less, and you go up and you go to theater when it's time. And this meant that I was able to – And by uh, the way, I, I, I've been to a ton of film festivals, and all of them are the, – the way they do it is pretty much horrible. And this sounds <laughs> so much better than any of the film festivals I've ever been to. Yeah, it's it's a great system. It's it's such a well organized, well run, friendly film festival in terms of um, uh, volunteers, in terms of structure, in terms of how it's set up and run. I, I'm impressed every year, and every year they take uh, um, feedback for what do you want to see improved in the system. And every year I see improvements. It is a genuinely good system, and something I hope that they really do. Im- uh, I hope, I hope it bleeds in other film festivals. Other film festivals are harder because they're usually scattered across the city or multiple theaters. It may be a bit trickier to make it work. But for me, this is the ideal system. 
And in addition to movies, which we will talk about, uh, there's a lot of other fun things to do, like Tenacious D, uh, Jack Black and Kyle Gass's, uh band were here this year to uh, premiere their new animated uh, web series. So they performed on site. So a lot of people could see Tenacious D do a live concert. Uh, there's by, other by, like. By the way, I think animated is kind of stretching it. <laughs> it looks like Jack Black drew a couple of scribbles and uh, they somehow connected the dots. It is apparently fun. I skipped it because I, I, I had other things I needed to do. But the people I know who saw it, including Slash Film contributor Matt Donato, who reviewed it for the site, really enjoyed it. So even though it looks <laughs> like garbage, apparently it's – if you're a fan of Tenacious D, it's, it's worth seeing. Uh, for me, the weird, bizarre highlight of the fest is that a friend of the site, Eric Snyder, the editor at Crooked Marquee, he's a freelance writer as well. He's been all over the place. Uh, he was He lost a bet. He had to participate in an annual event of Plastic Fest Holds called Puke and Explode, where <laughs> one of the Alma Draft House's head chefs creates all manner of genuinely horrible things for people to eat, and there's a contest so you can stay in the longest. And we all gathered around between movies to see if Eric could last, the cheer for him, the root him on, and even though there were people up there who were bragging about how they can have iron stomachs, they could take anything, and Eric looked ready to pass out two rounds in. Eric won. <laughs> Wait, what, what were they? What kind of things were they eating? Uh, an ice cream cone, uh, ice cream cone with chocolate syrup and sprinkles, but instead of ice cream, with scoops of bacon fat. That was one of them. Uh, shots of whiskey full of um, ground up shrimp parts. Uh. <laughs> um, uh, fr- uh, fried chicken's feet uh, with no seasoning. Just all kinds of nightmares. <laughs> Uh, this is also the same fest where it's the most famous event is probably the Fantastic Debates, where a group of people uh, all gather at a local boxing gym, get in the ring, and debate various movie-centric uh, arguments uh, behind podiums, literally in a, in a boxing ring behind podiums. They have a actual intellectual debate, and then they literally fight it out to see who actually wins the debate. And it's, it's, it's the... Um, it's this fest in a nutshell. It is spirited and funny and very much about talking about movies and being there and being a movie fan, but also wild enough that people are punching each other in the face. And as someone who actually participated in this event, we got guess about five years ago, it is by far one of the strangest things I've ever done. Uh, for the record, I lost the debate, but won the fight, which what, means I won overall. What so. was the debate? <laughs> the debate was whether or not it was 28 days later was a zombie movie or is a zombie movie. I argued that it was. Uh, Brad McCarg, a sometimes uh, freelance writer uh, and, and a friend of mine, argued it wasn't. And he won the debate. He's a better speaker than I am. He pulled my own words against me in ways that were horrible. But then I had – I'm about six inches taller than him, so I had the reach in the fight <laughs> and, and, won the, and won it overall. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, really fun festival. Like, if you come for the movies, but there's also concerts and special events and craziness and just stuff you can entirely avoid if you want to. But if you want a break from movies, it's all there. Yeah. Um, Brad, what have you been up to? So I know that Halloween is not even here yet, and October just started today. However, um, it's that time when a lot of the retail outlets and stuff like that start um, getting their Christmas stuff together. And Oh, if, uh, you, if you don't have your limited edition Christmas ornaments from... Uh, Hallmark right now, you're you're screwed at this point. Well, that's not entirely true. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> but but yes, the um when it comes to new ornaments, 
Uh, now is getting to the time when um, Hallmark releases their ornaments and other uh, retail outlets like the Disney Store and places like that start releasing their new Christmas ornaments before the season gets here and um, and actually puts you know Christmas decorations in full swing in all the storefronts. So um, the Hallmark ornaments actually I, um, are officially going on sale this Saturday, October 6th, because I, I actually stopped at a Hallmark store over the weekend. Um, and I picked up uh, actually an ornament that you bought recently, the Donkey Kong arcade game machine. Yeah. So, yeah, I picked that up for my Christmas tree. But then I also stopped at the Disney store at a mall and they had an ornament of uh, the Iron Spider version of Spider-Man. So I got that for my tree. And then I was checking out FYE because they always have random like pop culture things that I stumble upon. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I didn't even know this existed. Um, and they had an ornament of Pickle Rick from Rick and Morty with a Santa Claus hat on. Uh, and they also had uh, Reptar from Rugrats with um, a Reptar candy bar in his hands and also a Santa Claus hat on. So I picked up those as well. Um, and I'll probably go to the Hallmark store to see um, if I can get my hands on some things. I, don't know, I actually don't know if there's like a mad rush at the Hallmark store because I've never gone on the day the ornaments have come out. But I think I'm going to try if I can while I'm out and about. Um, but I'm also supposed to be doing family stuff, so I might get screwed over and not get anything. But there's some cool ones coming out, like um, Hal from 2001 Space Odyssey is getting his own ornament this year. There's a, a new Black Panther coming out. Um, there's the, there's a bunch of really cool stuff. Hallmark always has incredible ornaments that are, that are keepsakes for the given year that they come out. And so it's uh, it's just time to start tracking them down. <laughs> yeah, I pre-ordered a bunch of the ones that have already come out, like uh... – there was a Big Hero 6 Baymax that I, I have. There's a Huntel and Carbonite, uh, which is kind of cool. And um, are you collecting those, uh, th- that Star Wars series? I forget what it's called, but they, like, connect together. I am. Um, I, I don't know if I'll end up getting all of them, but last year um, I was fortunate enough where I usually try and wait and not buy them full price if I can avoid it unless I know it's something that's going to be hard to get uh later on and since those ornaments are a very salty forty dollars a piece because they light up and make sounds and they're very intricately detailed and pretty well sized i waited until after christmas to see if they would go on sale and um there's a local hardware store here um, a cablin's ace hardware oh yeah i think you told the story on this podcast probably they had they had the um the death star and the x-wing um on sale and and they were 50 percent off so i got them for 20 bucks which was much more reasonable to me for the for those ornaments even though paying that much for an ornament is still kind of ridiculous but. <laughs> it's totally ridiculous i bought the millennium falcon the weird thing is usually with hallmark ornaments they make the ornament just for that year and it kind of gets retired um right. with these ornaments because they all connect together and they don't want people to have a bad experience where they can't have you know the the X-wing or the Tie Fighter, or the Death Star. They're for, for however long that they're making the series, they're gonna each year come back with all of them. So uh, so I think they're gonna be pretty easy to get. They're not like one of those ones you gotta rush to the store. But uh, yeah, I, I you're reminding me now. I have to go Christmas or Christmas Christmas ornament shopping. I have a uh, small tree. It's called my droid tree, and I have a lot of droids on that. Uh, and I know there's a new Hallmark ornament coming out with R2-D2 with a Porg on it. 
I think. Yeah. Is that yeah, what the other ones? I think he's got a couple porgs on him. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I got to get that for the porg tree. Um, but, okay, let's move on to what we've been reading because I have not been doing much of anything this past week uh, for whatever reason. But I have been reading this book. Uh, the book is called Abracadamit. Disaster Stories and Life Lessons from the World's Top Magicians. Uh, this is a book by Benjamin Zabin. Um, I'm not sure if it's available in greater outlets. It's mostly available in magic s- stores online. I'll link to it in the show notes. But um, I find it fascinating, and this I don't think this will be something boring to, be, boring to people. But uh, basically this guy talked to you know dozens of famous and you know working magicians and basically ask them like you know what is the worst disaster that happened during a performance and uh the stories are often hilarious sometimes they're just kind of like informative and like you uh, kind of a lesson to be learned in you know uh what you need as a magician or even an entertainer of any kind what you should be doing to prepare for a show um but uh oftentimes hilarious and uh just a lot of fun so i've been reading that um jacob what have you been reading well i've been mostly been reading my myself as i as i attempt to proof my own articles we're sending them off to brad for film festival coverage but i have been flipping through one book recently Reading it cover to cover seems like a uh, bad idea, but it's called Cryptozoology A to Z. And I bought this because I wanted to buy some beard cream on Amazon, and it wouldn't let me buy it by itself. So I went to my Amazon wish list and found the only <laughs> book that had fulfilled it to the perfect amount to buy it. And to be fair, I like cryptozoology, the study of unknown species, you know, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, Bonville Snowman. And this book is awesome because... It's not a joke book. It's not a book that's like written for children. It's meant to be an actual guide for people who actually want to study cryptozoology and want to have a handy reference on hand. <laughs> and it's, I, I'm digging it because it it puts uh, in the same, right next to the yeti and the chupacabra. It'll have actual species that are thought to be long lost, recently discovered, as if trying to say look how legitimate we are. So it's just, it is not like I've seen so many books where it's like, here's 28 pages of lavishly illustrated looks at mythical monsters like unicorns and dragons and for like, you know, Hey kids, come look at these things that don't exist. Or this book is like written in a very serious academic style. It is dry to the point where it should be boring, but because you're reading dry encyclopedia entries on the Chupacabra it is suddenly so exciting. So it's just been my go-to. I have five minutes between screenings. I am dashing off for a second. Um, I need to, kill a few minutes which i do all open this book to a random page and read about a mythical monster it doesn't exist but this book thinks does it is it's kind of wonderful that is uh so that's cryptozoology a to z you can find that uh, apparently on amazon to yes. uh, fill your cart um so, so jacob you use beard cream yes i do well i, I have a beard i have never used beard cream so I, I, i'm gonna ask why do I need to use beard cream, or what is the well, advantage? Well, when my you get when your beard gets as long as as mine is mine is, and it's as the slash some crew who see me in person can attest it. I, I have a very big bushy beard. It requires a lot of maintenance, so it doesn't get gross. Like I use shampoo, I use a softener in the shower, but every few days I also use a uh, beard and scruff softener by Cremo is the brand. And all it does is it sits in your beard for thirty seconds. 
and it makes it so that it just softens up. It, it, it treats the skin beneath the beard so it's less dry. It, it gives moisture to the beard so that um, the beard hairs don't, you know, die out or don't um, become gross or don't um, become bad to touch. Like my, my beard, for all whatever faults it may have, <laughs> even though I quite like it, if you touch it, you can run your hand through it without, without any stress. It doesn't hurt me to touch it. It just makes it a very makes having a beard a pleasant experience. I might have to check this out. Okay, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, this past week, I got to see First Man, which is a film that premiered at Toronto. Is that correct, Chris? I think it was at Venice first. Or Venice it, first. Okay. Yeah. Um, did you see this film? Uh, yes, I did. I, I saw that yeah, TIFF yeah. and I reviewed it for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, was very much looking forward to this film because I'm a big fan of the filmmaker uh, and uh, I am a huge uh, NASA nerd. I love Apollo 13. I was a little bit skeptical of how you could make a movie compelling on the story of, you know, Apollo 11 because, you know, it was kind of just you know, a successful mission to the, to walk on the moon and, uh, you know, n- nothing very much went wrong. Uh, I-, I do think they did a good job of dramatizing and show, you know, giving, uh, you, you know, I-, I think they did a good job with the, the NASA scenes as a whole. They were so uh, very compelling. I, I think uh, if, if the sound designer for that film does not win an Academy Award, I think he is robbed. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, I, and it is... Uh, I'm, w- I'm wondering what you guys think. I, I like Ryan Gosling in about half of the things I see him in. See, see him in and ha- the other half, to me, he kind of has like this... Uh, empty look to him I guess I would describe him where like it's almost like you're looking at his face and you're looking for emotion or looking for something behind the eyes and it's almost like he's a robot uh does anybody else here get get, like have that feeling watching Ryan Gosling in some movies am I alone he, t- I mean, he tends to play very withdrawn. I mean, his yeah. last movie, he literally played a robot. And yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In this movie, it, that's kind of like the point of the character. Like the whole movie is about how emotionally stunted Neil Armstrong is. So, I mean, I see what you're saying, but I also feel like that's just the type of roles he like gravitates towards. I think I, I get it. I, I just feel like I know he's trying to keep his emotions inside but i would like to feel that a little bit more and i did i feel like i just didn't feel it in this movie but i I do think the nasa sequences in this film are worth seeing the movie alone for like they're compelling you know the the earlier missions before apollo 11 if you haven't followed and you don't have a you know encyclopedic knowledge of uh, the U.S. space program. Uh, there's some twists and turns there that uh, will have you on the edge of your seat and surprise you. Um, and I did, uh, I did see this in IMAX, like actually at, at CityWalk. So like a, the real, you know, uh, whatever that aspect ratio is, but not a digital. I mean, I guess it was projected digitally, but you know, the real original IMAX re- aspect ratio, and they shot some scenes for this movie using uh real imax cameras uh 
Uh, that's and those look so good. But that said, uh, Chris, do you think it's a spoiler to discuss this? What that he lands on the moon? No, no, I don't no, no, no. But like, okay, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler. The the only IMAX footage you'll get is at the end of the movie. So like yes. you're you're sitting there in the IMAX theater for the entire movie, like waiting for the you know the thing to expand in the way that like you normally do in like a Nolan movie, and uh, it really only opens up you know when they land on the moon, and I I do think that's a clever and interesting way to do it, but I, it felt like I was kind of like you know if I was paying that IMAX surcharge and went there to see a movie because I knew that they filmed some scenes in IMAX, I would. I don't know. I feel. I, I think I'd feel kind of gypped a little bit, but uh, but I do recommend it. I just didn't love it, uh, Chris. Uh, since you have seen it, uh, did did you like it more than me? No, I was a little mixed on it. I in uh, you know I, I recommend everyone go read my review at slashfilm.com. But I, I I like Damien Chazelle. I like his previous movies. I even like La La Land, even though I know a lot of people don't like that. But this there was like something that just didn't work for me with this. I mean, technically, it's 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 a great movie. Technically, like the way it's shot and the way it's edited and like you said, the sound design. But there's just something about the way the movie plays out that just really didn't work for me. Except for the like the entire ending sequence on the moon, definitely makes the film just worth seeing because it's so well done. But almost everything before that just didn't really work that well for me. Yeah, I, d- I did like the performance from uh, his co-star uh, Claire. What's her last name? Foy. Claire Foy. Claire Foy. Yeah, no, she has a great performance. Um, and uh, what else did, would have been watching? I watched uh, the season finale of America's Got Talent. This is a show that I watched that I probably shouldn't watch. I fast By watch, I mean I probably fast-forward through half of each episode. Um, but I, I do like getting to see, you know, interesting, great variety acts uh it, it does seem like since simon cowell has returned as a judge there is more singing and you know musical performers which is kind of disappointing because i feel like um not that i watch american idol but i feel like american idol gets the good performers and america's got talent gets like the second rate performers so it's like now we're subjected to a lot of a lot more second rate uh, musical performers um and like most reality shows these days i think america's got talent usually tends to uh ear on the side of you know, sob stories and, you know, uh, you finding out a lot about this person and like, you know, the troubles that they grew up with and their adversary, you know, adversity uh, through, you know, all these like things. And it, it, America, I think I've said this on the podcast in the past, but I, I feel like America usually gets it wrong when they vote because they usually vote for that, uh, you know, sob story and not uh, the act itself. You know, we've had. Uh, seasons of America's Got Talent in the past were like, you know, a ridiculous dog act. And, I, and not that I don't like a dog act, but, um, you know, dogs jumping around and stuff won the competition, which by winning the competition, you get a million dollars and you get an act in Vegas. And I don't think anybody would actually uh, go to Vegas to pay to see you know, dogs jumping around for 10 minutes. And I don't think those dogs could jump around for, you know, as long as you know, you would need for a Vegas show. But um, this year, 
uh, I was happy because the person who won was uh, a magician, not only a magician, second time in four years that magician won, but Shin Lim, uh, who is one of the greatest magicians in the world. If you have not seen Shin Shin Lim, I would go to YouTube, search Shin Lim, uh, and uh, he is just amazing, and I'm just uh, so happy that he won that. And uh, to keep the, the reality TV coverage going, I did watch the premiere episode of Survivor. This year, It's uh, the theme is David versus Goliath, so there's a team of Davids and there's a team of Goliaths. Um, I am, you know, I, I, I think I talked previously on this podcast the last year, I kind of got bitten by the Survivor bug and kind of, you know, binge-watched... Uh, you know, more than a dozen seasons of Survivor. Uh, so, I'm, you know, I'm all in. I'm playing fantasy leagues. I'm doing, you know, what, you know, you can pick, uh, you know, who you want. Uh, you have, like, you draft uh, members of the team before you even watch the show. And, uh, you know, you compete against your friends. Uh, this year is interesting for a couple reasons, I think, that I think you guys might be interested. One of the contestants this year is Mike White, the screenwriter of School of Rock and um, what else has he done? He's written a bunch of stuff, right? Well, he's also he's also in School of Rock, as, yeah. as the real Mister Schneebly. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So, it, anyways, so there's a screenwriter on there, and uh, there's a WWE wrestler. It, it isn't full on like you know celebrity survivor or anything like that, but uh, it is a little bit more interesting than normal, and. Uh, you know, every year for a Celebrity Survivor, you get to pick one sole survivor. You know, one guy that you think is going to make it to the end. And uh, literally by the end of the premiere episode, my guy got helico- helicoptered out because he, like, broke his back. <laughs> so I've already lost my, my fantasy season of Survivor. But... uh I don't know. I, I'm having fun with it. I can't wait to uh, dive in for the rest of the season. Uh, and uh, to get to more narrative, non-reality TV shows, I uh, watched the pilot episode of Maniac. Have any of you guys uh, watched Maniac yet? Uh, I have. I, uh, yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, Jacob, or you haven't had time, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you know, this show is insane. Um, it's, it's insane, crazy. I don't know how it got made. It's, uh, I feel like it's like, if like, who's the guy that made Legion? <laughs> I don't have Noah Hawley. Noah Hawley. I, f- I feel like if it's, if you took Noah Hawley and you combined it with like Wes Anderson, this would be like the TV show that would come out of those two. I don't know. It's set in this alternate New York City uh, filled with like this old tech, but, you know, huge advancements and Emma Stone and uh, Jonah uh, Hill. And uh, I don't know. I I am compelled by it. It is watching it. It's really going in interesting places and it's doing something that you've never seen before. And I'm not, although I'm not quite sure what that is. And after the first episode, I think I, I, I looked at my girlfriend kitchen. I was like, uh, do you want to watch another one of these? And I think we both agreed, you know, we're going to give it like a couple of days before we decide if we want to dive in for more, even though I did enjoy it. 
Chris, since you you have seen some of this, uh, what, what do you think? Well, I think if you could binge 12 seasons of Survivor or whatever you just said, you can definitely finish this. <laughs> uh, it's only a few episodes. Uh, I, I do know what you're saying because my wife had a similar reaction as we were watching it. She was like, I don't know where this is going and if I feel like finishing it. But we did finish it, and I'm glad we did because the ending is great. I mean, I think the whole thing is great. It's a very unique uh strange uh, surprisingly um like touching series like it goes to very emotional places that i wasn't expecting so i, I would recommend finishing it okay I- i'll keep with it and the last thing i've been watching is the nbc show manifest which is produced by robert zemeckis uh for those of you who don't know this is a show that's kind of like i would describe it as lost meets this is us and it's about this airplane that took off five years ago and disappeared and lands five years later with everybody uh you know at normal like like nothing has happened you know almost like they had gone through a time warp and uh the, the show does some interesting things in that uh the people that have been returned to earth a return to uh, the world um, are changed in interesting ways. I don't want to like really spoil anything, but it does kind of get very sci-fi-y. Um, it's a great premise. It's done in a very networky way. The acting is, for the most part, very bad. But uh, the premise has me wanting to uh, continue with it. Have any of you watched uh, Manifest yet? No, it looks so much like Lost to the point where I'm reminded of those wave of Lost ripoffs from when Lost was first on and big. Like um, Flash Forward, for instance. Yeah. All these shows that felt like they're trying to grab the zeitgeist in a way that felt desperate. This one just feels about 10 years too late. So I'm just not interested in, in that kind of show anymore, I don't think. This is definitely going for more of a, like, this is us vibe if you've ever seen that show it's very much more emotional and character driven than mystery driven if that makes sense um although there are some mysteries here but I, i'm gonna keep with it i don't know uh, i i don't think it's a good show but i <laughs> i don't know i i guess during pt peak tv i could be watching better stuff but it like i'm just compelled by the the concept of it all chris what have you been watching uh, I watched Skyscraper starring Dwayne Johnson, and it was fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Dwayne Johnson's deal is because he's so charismatic and so likable, but he picks like the most ho-hum scripts. And I kind of feel like it's like a uh, like a really uh, – what's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I feel like this is like a, a, a thing that's, a, that's by design. Like I feel like he has a whole team of people who help him pick the most like banal, unoffensive screenplays he possibly can because he knows you know, they'll play with the majority of audiences. Like he's not looking I also for- don't think it's just that. I think his team and him come on and they make it more of that. They make it – they make it more like watered down. Yeah. yeah, you could you could be right. Yeah, I don't know. And like, you know, this wasn't bad. I mean, I certainly like this more than Rampage, which is the other movie he had this year, which <laughs> was just awful. And this, you know, I mean, this like, the, you know, the effects were cool. And, you know, it has an OK. I, 
story. I mean, it's basically just Die Hard in a building, which is Die Hard. So it's literally just Die Hard. Um, so I don't know. Like, I didn't hate it, but I but, but, wish. But there's like this danger room on the the top of the building. It's all this you insanity. Know, I don't know. I like. I I wish he would go back to doing. Like every once in a while, he does challenging stuff. Like he did like Southland Tales, which is a movie I don't think is good, but it's at least interesting. And you know, he did that Pain and Gain, which is another movie I don't really think is that good, but at least he was like stretching himself a bit. I wish he would do more of that with all this other stuff, but I don't know. He probably is just happy to collect his money and do do whatever he wants, and then go to the gym. So you know. Cool. <laughs> Who am I to tell Vin, uh, to tell Dwayne Johnson what to do? I, I agree with you. He should be picking interesting filmmakers, but it seems like he keeps on re-signing on to team with the filmmakers that are making the bad movies that no one likes uh, again and again. Do you know what I mean? But uh, you've yeah. also been watching a little bit of TV? Uh, yes, I, I watched the upcoming season of uh, Channel Zero. It's not out yet, but I, I had screeners because I'm reviewing it. It's it's Channel Zero, the Dream Door, and uh, you know I'll save my detailed thoughts for my upcoming review. But it's it's um yet again another great season from this show. This you know I've said this before multiple times. Like this is like the best horror show that no one is watching. Like I never hear anyone really talking about this show, and they should because it's so creepy and it's so well done and it's so self-contained. Like every season is its own thing. And it only has like, you know, six episodes a season, which is so doable. And this one is one of the best ones yet. I think it's got a lot of stuff that's going to freak people out. Like if you're, if you're one of those people who's actually like scared of clowns, like legitimately scared of them, not, you know, in the, in the jokey way, you're going to find this season to be, terrifying so um that that'll be on sci-fi later this month so be on the lookout for it hey chris i have a question about this season uh as someone who thinks seasons one and two are the best hard tv of all time but was really let down with season three is this more like seasons one and two or should i be bracing myself no this is definitely better than last season i i was not a big fan of last season either but this season uh, the storytelling is much better. It's much tighter. Like I felt like last season was all over the place, and this one is a lot more focused. So I, I think you'll like it. I'm so happy to hear that. Very cool. Uh, when does Channel Zero hit? hit? Uh, October 26th, I want to say, but I, I could be absolutely wrong there. No, I am right. October 26th. Okay, cool. Brad, what have you been watching? I watched Girls Trip. For the first time over the weekend, um, I missed it when it was in theaters, and everyone was you know, ranting and raving about how funny it was and how good it was. And it's been sitting on HBO forever, and I finally just took the time to sit down and watch it. I watched it with my uh, girlfriend, long distance. We just watched it at the same time on the old HBO Go, um, and it's pretty good. It's not quite as good as everyone was ranting and raving about. Uh, you know, it's it's solid and it's fun to see. Uh, you know, the, a group of women like that get to have some like wild, raunchy, debaucherous, you know, fun. Um, but there's some things that kind of just like wear thin on me. Like on, honestly, as funny as Tiffany Haddish can be, I I'm I'm starting to have the same problem with her that I do with Kevin Hart, where he only works for me in small doses because it seems like they're both just yelling all the time. Um, and it can be funny sometimes. Like Tiffany Haddish has some great, uh, like quick 
um, like funny rants and stuff in this movie. Uh, and, and it works sometimes, but then other times it's just like, okay, we were like, I'm, I'm done with this shtick now. Let's move on. Um, but, but overall it was a pretty good movie. I, I enjoyed it. Um, and it was, uh, it has some, has some good laughs. So liked it, but didn't love it. Um, what else have you been watching? Uh, I just decided to, um, rewatch little giants the other day while I was working. I, it popped up on my iTunes for some random reason. I saw that it was only like seven bucks to buy it and getting it on dvd is actually pretty difficult for some reason uh so yeah so i actually bought a digital movie and don't have the physical copy um and i watched it and it's just it's one of those movies that i watched over and over again when i was a kid um and i always just enjoy it no matter how goofy and silly it is and plus like i love rick moranis and you know just it makes makes me wish that he would come back and do some more some more acting again find some good roles to make some kind of comeback um so yeah it's you know it's just one of those kind of like classic disney sports comedies for kids that they honestly don't really make anymore and i kind of wish that they did because i feel like a lot of kids are kind of missing out on those kinds of movies nowadays uh there's no real like successor to things like mighty ducks and little giants and the big green and the sandlot and all that stuff so um but yeah that's that's pretty much it I remember really enjoying this uh, when I was younger, and uh, I have not revisited it in years. So I'm I'm glad to hear it's it's still good. But... I mean, I don't know if I would say that it's <laughs> good. Like it's it's certainly not bad. It's it, but it's definitely like a family friendly sports comedy. You know, that's just yeah. it's kind of goofy, but it's it's got a special place in my heart just because I grew up with it. For sure. Um, okay, let's let's move on to uh, Jacob. What have you been watching outside of, uh, you know, all the Fantastic Fest goodness? Well, I saw 28 movies at Fantastic Fest, and you'll be hearing about those on a future podcast. But I did pause for one evening, right? I took the midnight slot off. I went home to see my wife and pet my dogs. And I decided to watch a movie that I've been looking forward to for a few months now, which is Hell House LLC 2. And the first Hell House LLC is actually one of my favorite found footage horror movies. It is set in an old hotel where a uh, group of young people have uh, rented the space and are creating a, a haunted house, a Halloween haunt, out of this supposedly haunted actual hotel. And things go wrong and awry and people die. And it has all the usual trademarks of found footage horror, but it's done very effectively and it's very evocative of the Halloween season. And I found it very spooky and... It's one of my go-to recommendations for people wanting to see a good found footage horror movie. And the sequel comes from the much the same people, uh, same director and writer, Stephen Cognetti. But it's not nearly as good. Maybe it's about half as good as the first one. It's still fun, but it has an issue I have with certain movies like this where it feels incredibly inauthentic. Like, it'll cut to news programs or a news talk show discussing uh, certain events and it will feel really cheap and, and really, really poorly put together. It never feels like a real talk show, for instance. When it gets to the found footage scares in the back half of the movie when people are actually back in the haunted house, it's perfectly spooky, perfectly entertaining, maybe a little too long, takes a little too while to wrap up. But it's just, it doesn't know what to do with itself. It has a really good premise, which is that the first movie came out and people reacted to it and people who saw this quote-unquote documentary 
the first movie was, are all seeking out the house and trying to sneak in, and bad stuff's happening to people who are who are making this choice. And it, it it's it's smart in the way it reacts to the first film, but it doesn't reach the scares or it never reaches the same level of tense horror and fun. It just ultimately devolves and people running around dark house screaming a lot. And I had a good time with it, but it's just another found footage horror movie as opposed to being like maybe the cream of the crop of the genre. Yeah. Watching people run around dark houses screaming a lot is is something I've been doing a lot lately watching, you know, people in, uh, you know, all these haunted theme park events nationwide. I watch a lot of video bloggers and, uh, you know, in a non-narrative sense, it's it's kind of frustrating. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let, let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, I have been in full diet mode. Uh, I have lost uh, 13 pounds so far in counting, uh, which I do realize is a lot of water weight. But uh, but it, it's going. And uh, I uh, did have a – I ate out on Friday night – uh, a couple friends, uh, their family was in town, and I'm good friends with the the family, so they invited me to Maggiano's Italian Restaurant, which is this chain. And uh, guys, the struggle is real <laughs> because if you go to a, an Italian restaurant looking for healthy food, uh, it, it's it's hard. You you only have a few options, and you got to do you know uh, modifications and stuff. But I was able to do it. It was fine. Uh, full steam ahead. Uh, Brad, what have you been eating? So while I was out uh, doing my ornament hunting at FYE, I happened to stumble upon this small uh, container of unique chocolates um, that are Breaking Bad branded. Uh, they're the Los Poyos Hermanos chocolates. And it's a small set of four chocolate bars that are probably about like maybe like a third of the size of like a normal uh, like Hershey bar, I guess you would say. And they have very odd flavors to replicate uh, the fast food experience that is Los Pollos Hermanos. And they include caramel fried chicken. That sounds curly, awesome. Curly fries and ketchup. Uh, maybe not. Crunchy taco. No. And thirst quenching cola. No. <laughs> and so I took I took a little nibble out of all four of them just to just to try them, and uh, I the caramel fried chicken one is the best one just because it's it's this interesting combination of savory and sweet and there you, it tastes a little bit you know like the fried chicken batter and like the, you you really it, it had, kind of has that you know that real like genuine fried chicken flavor to it along with the chocolate. The curly fries and ketchup one was odd because at first it's a little bit pleasing because it has that salty sweet taste, um, you know, that like like a, almost like a sea salt chocolate kind of thing. But then the ketchup taste comes in and it is ooh, it is it's very weird and off putting. Um, <laughs> the crunchy taco one almost tasted like if you mixed the flavor of like tortilla chips in in chocolate instead of like almost like a crunch bar that has like tortilla chips instead of crispy rice in it but then it also had like this spicy aftertaste uh that like they added a little bit of like you know chili pepper or some something in it to give it a little bit of a kick as if you were eating a taco um so i i don't necessarily think that it tasted much like a taco as much as it did just like uh like a, a kind of a spicy chocolate i guess 
Um, and then the last one, the cola one, was pretty interesting, actually, because it tastes exactly like the cola syrup does when you get, like, a, a, a Coke-flavored icy, just mixed with a little bit of chocolate. And, like, and it's almost to the point where, like, you can kind of taste the bubbles in a way, even though there's not, like, any Pop Rocks or anything like that. Um, but it was, it wasn't bad, but it's, like I said, the caramel fried chicken one was easily the best one. And then the cola one, and then I can take or leave the fries and ketchup and crunchy taco ones. But if you want to try them yourself, um, apparently they're an FYE exclusive. You can only get them at the store and I don't, I don't know if they're available online or not, but this is the first time I had seen them. Um, so yeah, and you can get, you can get them there. They might make like a good stocking stuffer for, you know, somebody who's like a big Breaking Bad fan and likes weird chocolate. <laughs> Lame. I don't have, I don't think I have an FYE near me. Not that I can eat chocolate anyways. Jacob, what have you been eating? Uh, I've been eating way too much food at the Alma Draft House. Uh, one of the benefits of, of the Draft House as a theater chain is they have the menus and the tables. You can order food before and during the movie. But one of the downsides of the Draft House is that as it expanded nationwide, they've trimmed down their menu considerably to the point where I don't think there's enough variety there to always justify having a full meal. I always try to you know, get some kind of snack when I go out to them because I know that's where movie theaters make their real money. I want to support you know, the companies that, I'm, <laughs> that I attend regularly. But this is my advice to you if you are a Fantastic Fest goer in the future. Do not rely on the Draft House to keep you fed uh, for the entire week of Fantastic Fest. You will feel sick. You will feel awful because it's all fast food as it is. And the variety will run out real fast. Uh, look into food in the area. Pack some lunches. And don't be yeah. me. Yeah, I remember when I used to go to Fantastic Fest. And I guess it's pro- they probably had a wider variety of food back then. But I, I remember like during like meal like movies because you'd see like four or five movies in the theater that day. And even during movies where, like, you know, you had just eaten the movie before, I was like, oh, I'll get some mozzarella sticks or I'll get some. I think I gained, like, probably, like, 15 pounds from Fantastic Fest uh, when I went, uh, which is pretty insane. Um, that brings it. It brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Uh, you can find all more of all of our work on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at SlashFilm.com. Leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. And please also go give us a positive review. On our iTunes page, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.